But I think as analysts or as an analytics team, we're in the best position to be able to or help prioritize or um, understand, you know, what requests are truly valuable to the rest of the organization. I think, I think to me, I see the analytics team as um, we're the gateway or the curator of what data requests are valuable or could be valuable versus what are, you know, very superficial and maybe invaluable. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. What's the next um, piece of equipment you might be getting? Well, the two things that I'm looking... Well, I'm looking at three things. One, you've kind of talked me out of, or I've deprioritized it, and that's a very nice burr manual grinder. And, and the only reason I'm thinking that is that, like, when I... And I don't travel a lot, but when I do, I'm like, it would be nice to take my own gear, you know, and just have my little manual... But that's been deprioritized. My my top priority is a bottomless filter, portafilter. Hmm. So the portafilter in this, uh, it's kind of like the standard one. It's got like two drip spouts where the espresso runs out after you pull the shot. But apparently all the cool kids are using a bottomless portafilter where it just has this screen mesh on the bottom and it kind of just hmm. all pools and then comes out. So that's I'm buying. Uh, that's my next one. And then the one after that is apparently I've been talked into upgrading my scale um, because I'm just using a regular digital kitchen scale, but I've come to learn that there are coffee-specific scales that are highly, like, tuned and sensitive, and the the newer ones start your shot timer by sensing the liquid hitting into your cup. So -hmm. you don't have to manually start it. It senses when to start the timer. Wow. So... I have it in my Amazon my Amazon cart, and I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it's it's an addicting hobby. I'll, I mean, yeah. I just got you can't see it. I waited, and you spin it, and it levels your your grounds before you tamp them down, so you get like a perfectly even bed. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a problem. You can always get deeper, I guess, with uh, any, no, any I hobby. Know. <laughs> I know, I know. I was about and, to say, I didn't know coffee could be such a an expensive hobby. Oh, you have no idea. I'll, I'll send you an Instagram account <laughs> I follow of this guy. That's like, yeah, there's so much, and and we're just talking about this machine. I, you know, John got me into cold brew, so I have a cold brewer. I also have a pour over setup. Um, I've got a I've got an Italian mocha pot, so making like kind of faux espresso on the stove. I've got separate grinders. I've got it. It's, it's a problem. So, okay. So you've actually given me an in to to start to move toward our our topic for for the week. You know, with all of that equipment and whatnot, how do you keep it sustainable? I knew I knew that you were going to come up with some sort of tie-in. I think that that's the I think that that's the challenge is. Um, 
trying to strike this balance of buying only what I need versus what I think would be fun and cool. So if I can convince myself that it's going to become part of my workflow and routine, then I can justify buying it. If it's a, ah, this would kind of be fun to play around with, I've forced myself not to make that purchase. And so everything I've bought so far is something that I'm actively using and part of my routine. And my routine is quite a bit longer than it probably needs to be, but I find it incredibly meditative. You know, just the process of coming in and making the coffee every morning is like a 10, 15 minute process. And it's just, for me, such a great way to start the day. Now, do you regret any of the purchases? Uh, from the my coffee purchases? Yeah, like no. when, when, okay, that's good. No, no. Then, every, it, then, then maybe it's not too much. Yeah, I, I think everything I've, I've gotten so far, I, I actively use. Um, that's good. Including the cold brewer. I, it's, it's such a nice thing to have because it creates this concentrate that I can just store in the fridge and easy to make, you know, cold drinks, especially in the summertime. It's nice to have that concentrate just sitting there. So yeah, no, I, I can't think of anything I've purchased so far for it where I'm like, eh, I shouldn't have bought that. So, and I've been slow, like I've owned this machine for three or four years and I've just slowly added some things here and there. So it's not like I went all out and just like bought every gadget I could buy. So, and, and a big part of it is the learning process. Kind of, Jim, to your question about sustainability. When you first get into a hobby, and I, I've, been, I've been thinking about getting into vinyl, and I'm sad because I had this great vinyl collection from my mom, and I gave it to one of my audiophile friends. And now I'm like, I should have kept that. I want to get in. But it's like this, there's so much stuff, right? And the draw is... I'm just going to go and buy this huge starter package with every all these little gears and gadgets and things. And I think that's the trap. Um, so when I first got into making my own coffee at home at a higher level, um, I bought the machine and kind of started there. And I used it for a while. And then I figured out like where I had some gaps, where I maybe wanted some additional tools to increase the quality of the coffee and so I would buy one or two things as I learned more about what I was missing in my collection but it, it is super hard and tying it into the Martech space it's super hard not to say yeah just give me the entire cloud and I'm like how are we gonna use it? I don't know but I want it it's really super cool you know sometimes if you go slow use what you have it, it puts you in a better position to make informed choices about what you need because you've actually put what you already own to the paces and, and figured out where the gaps are and where the limitations are so yeah, I guess the trap is just moving on to something else, like another yeah. device before fully mastering the one that you have. Yeah, and that's that's definitely definitely a thing. So I've uh, if, if I'm going to pay a decent amount of money for something, and I think that that's the other thing, um, that trap for me has been more easily avoided when I've made a more significant purchase. And so um, things that I've bought, like a guitar... Oh, you want to be on a podcast? Oh, oh, the baby wants to be on the podcast. Um, so, <laughs> th things that I've purchased, like the guitar, like the coffee maker, um, trying to think of other things that I have. I'm sure I've got some kitchen, kitchen stuff that I have as well, is I tend to go more on the prosumer level of, of kind of entry into things. So, a little bit more pricey, a little higher quality. I found when I've wanted to dabble in things, I'm like, oh, I'll just get the cheapest version of it. It's so easy to just replace it or move on to something else because the investment wasn't quite as as meaningful, if that makes sense. 
yeah i think when you when you have some investment behind it, it uh yeah it forces you to kind of take it more seriously yeah for sure so I mean, we could have an entire series just talking about, you know, coffee. Here. <laughs> I almost forgot the topic because it's actually <laughs> extensible to so many different, uh, <laughs> different really, things. Yeah, it really is. It's a, it's a, it's a good uh, analogy for, for the Martech landscape. Exactly, because the first thing I thought of when you were talking about it is, is exactly what we're seeing every day in the space with clients, prospects, and just about everybody out there just buying up. Um, buying up new technology, thinking the the new technology is going to solve their problems, but yet every new piece of technology, they don't put any kind of investment into. They don't spend any time with to make sure that they're getting the the perceived potential out of it. And it's just like, let's move on, on to the next one. But I guess we can't ignore that human element. I mean, the reason, the psychological reason why someone might want another tool is similar to the the hobby aspect too potentially like it could be more seem like it could be more fun to you know start a start something new yeah it is but does that you get know. it I, I and on a personal level to me i get frustrated that i end up spending so much money on things and not really investing the time to truly master them it gets frustrating to me i'm wondering if that we we feel similarly in, in the MarTech space, because you're right there, it's, it's so easy to want to buy new things and we get that excitement of buying new things. But at what point in time is it a diminishing return to just go buy more and more tools rather than focusing our time on mastering the tools that we, we have? Yeah. And, and it's, that is, is where I kind of want to drill in, um, uh, for our topic today. That's where I want to drill in, kind of mastering things. So the the topic I had planned today was to talk about self service. So what does it mean to to um, to to have your analytics program have a self service component and and the steps that you take to take for it? And I think the first step there is what you were talking about is 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 mastery. You know, having some level of mastery that you can find scalable. Um, scalable ways uh, the tool can be set up so people can reuse it and that you could also train other users. So as you begin to master certain levels of using the tool, you can then start to train others so then you can move on to the next thing. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I'd be interested to see if we've seen it it work well in, in situations. It tends to be a, a hot topic that yo-yos up and down and right now it seems to be hot again. Um, oh, it definitely is. Everybody's yeah, talking about yeah, it. Yeah, and, and I think historically these these teams that are, are responsible for turning around reporting or insights have, as we've talked about, historically been underfunded and small teams. Um, but since 2020, as the teams have shrunk even more, it's like there's no way they can keep up with it. And so whether it's budgetary reasons or there's literally no team to provide the insights, yeah, I'm hearing more and more of like we need to be self-service but how do you create something of self-service if you don't have to your point the the expertise or or the knowledge like we can buy everybody a fancy espresso machine but if you don't know the basics of how to grind the beans and pull the shot it's going to be a really really miserable experience I and mean, we can automate a lot of it but at what point you know does there need to be a 
a, a level of understanding and mastery and whether that's provided through education or other means like that to me seems to be the missing gap in the conversations is so much of it is about well we'll just you know provide access to x and y and z team and they'll do their own analysis and pull their own reports yeah. which they exactly. can right but the coffee's yeah. probably going to come out really thin and bitter and gross taste and we're like this sucks and it's not a fair yeah. representation of what it can do exactly and i think that's where we need to start is is defining what is a self-service analytics offering or what does it mean to provide a level of self-service for analytics within your organization? Because I think to your point, there are some that view self-service as, again, we implement the tool, we turn it on, we set up people with logins and say, go have fun finding the data. And to your point, that's how they don't get that fine-tuned drink that they're looking for they just get something that you know is, is just slopped together versus like those that are trying to take like true steps to identify how do they bring that into their organization so i guess let me ask you both if when i mention an analytics organization or an analytics team within an organization providing some level of self-service to the broader org what does that what what does that bring to mind for you? I'm interested in hearing from John because I think he's kind of probably amongst the three of us have ha has had the most diverse client side experience. I would love to hear if you've seen this deployed within some of the organizations you've worked with and what success rate you've seen. Yeah, so I guess the first thing I would say is there's no there's no defined I, I, the criteria of what defines self-service is very gray, I think, because there's it's it's a spectrum. It's a uh, you know there's different levels of 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 being able to be self-service. Um, I think the 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 one I mean uh, to to go back to what Jim originally said about like just setting up the tool and and letting uh, the business and every stakeholder have access to it and saying it's self-service that generally doesn't work from what I've seen because that's just, um, there's just too many questions usually. Um, I think the, the, and the, the problem there is we're battling a lot of times the, the vendors who are saying their tools are all self-service. I mean, I think every vendor says their tool is self-service. <laughs> that's the way they market it. And that's, the, so that's, that's, that's the first problem because that's, uh, usually not sustainable. There's always some limitation, I think, from from uh, accessing some report or chart in a tool and 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 the prac the reality of how that data is actually used inside of any org. So um, to me what self-service is, and I'm trying to be a little bit general, not too specific to a specific client, but like um, I think we need to build some sort of uh, analytics products i'm using products as like it could be um dashboards or but not just typical dashboards i mean kind of like a refined ui into the data i guess so a lot of times that is uh practically done or i've done through um data visualization tools and that could be you know across any any vendor has those um it usually also requires um, merging multiple data sets together. Because I think to be self-service nowadays, 
if it's if you're only looking at one data source, that's just a slice of the the puzzle, and it's not really self-service if you can get uh, your web analytics data from one place, but you need to merge it with email data from another team, and you're reliant on that other team. Like uh, to be self-service, you need to have some interface to multiple sources, I believe. Um, creating those that that product from whatever it may be that that UI that dashboard that reporting tool um, that does require kind of a new skill set I think than than we've traditionally done as analytics yeah, uh, practitioners um, I mean we're basically building a, a product um, I do feel like that's where a lot of things are are, are, are headed and you know the customers are the stakeholders in the business um and we have to continually maintain that that product i like source. that i like that concept let me ask you a question about where where the product ends or is unable to answer questions and if there is an extension back beyond that or if that becomes a feature request that you build into your product so if if i'm using an analytics product and it, it allows me to self-serve I'm obviously limited to what that can, you know, if I was looking at a menu at a restaurant, I'm kind of limited to what's on the menu. Mm -hmm. Does that model allow for me to then ask the chef for something custom? Meaning, is it clear to me on what I can do in the tool? And if it's not there, is that the end all? Or do I have the ability to then go back to the chef, the analytics team and say, hey, this isn't in the product, but I need something custom. Do you see that as part of this solution? Yeah, I think that's, that's, um, so I think, that goes into, you know, just as, as any team is developing any sort of product, whether it be a data product or not, like we have to take new requirements into consideration and prioritize them and balance whether it makes sense to add it to the, the product. If it's if it's some kind of request that um, makes sense and we feel is very, you know, useful for more than one-time use, then perhaps it does make sense to uh, make an uh, make some sort of change to that core product. Um, however, if it's something that's truly an ad hoc kind of thing, I mean, do we need to build, uh, spend a lot of effort to, you know, um, update the product for this 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 one request that may not have value um, to the business? And you know, I, there's just like a balance. I think we need to we need to prioritize those requests. But I think as analysts or as an analytics team, we're in the best position to be able to make those decisions or help prioritize or um, understand, you know, what requests are truly valuable to the rest of the organization. I think, yeah. I think to me, I see the analytics team as um, uh, kind of a, a, a we're, we're the gateway or the curator of, you know, what, what, data requests are valuable or could be valuable versus what are, you know, very superficial and maybe invaluable. Um, so, yeah. so what, what, what do you think that means for, for our industry, kind of the digital realm? Because I think what you're proposing and, and it's, it, it feels like this is the way things are trending. It's a huge shakeup for what mm -hmm. we've historically done. I think traditionally we've been very vendor 
specific in even if we have multiple vendors of data it's always been vendor driven rather than um, our kind of larger data set driven uh, as we've interacted with our internal customers so what does that mean as far as the approach we take to have a more consolidated view of the data of our data rather than vendor data that's part one of the question part two and then what does that mean for us where we've kind of been carved off as this separate role and kind of independent of that larger data initiative that has historically been owned by like internal BI teams or financial mm -hmm. analysis teams. How does, does this all come back together at some point in time? Yeah, I mean, I think we're analytics practitioners are, are probably the best positioned in the organization to be in the center of everything. Um, I see it as a, as, as, as a very powerful and good place for, for, for analysts to be if if um, we stay close to the business um, and kind of function as the hub to many of the other data teams as well. So for instance, the BI team, the data engineering team, they may, I mean, they're obviously very necessary and experts in their realm, but they may not have as, as, as high of a the bird's eye view that uh, analytics teams may have dealing with many more types of stakeholders and being very familiar with a lot of data sets. I mean, historically um, or typically, I'm trying not to be biased about this, but I think analytics data as a source is probably the most complicated data source generally. There's a lot of other types of data that can be <clears throat> uh, merged into it to make it an even you know, wider kind of data, uh, data set, but usually the most complicated piece of it is the analytics data and we are we or all of the analysts are experts in that realm that's i mean usually everything comes back to the analytics data but needs to be merged with many other data sources who and and and, and who are, who do you see owning that again and i think you called it out that has not traditionally been part of our role mm -hmm. um is that something that we need to look at owning is that something that is a, more of a data engineering function like where does that sit where we're thinking more about combining data sources? Yeah, I think, to me, I think um, the analytics, I think it makes sense for the analytics team to, to own that. And I mean, not, and when we, I say own it, I think the data engineering team, at least in my experience, has been more um, like the developers of data in a sense. You know, like um, if we need to create data pipelines, if we need to create new um, tables in the data warehouse, you know, managing that, optimizing that. I mean, that is the realm of the data engineering team usually, but we have to be able to direct the data engineering team into uh, how the business is going to be using that data and how they're going to be extracting insights and to help be the, the, the translator, you know, between. So just like I think we, t in, in traditionally, we've been the, the conduit from maybe web developers to the mm -hmm. business. Yeah. But I think that's kind of expanded now into being also the conduit into the data developers because data is getting more complex. Yes. Um, as well. And, and, and I think, um, I think, it, I think we're, we as analysts are, are best positioned to be in that, that central role. I, I agree with you. Um, do you see it being a challenge or do you see a significant portion of our industry 
um, resisting that change because we are so comfortable with kind of the way that we've always done things from a data collection very being very vendor specific or do you think people will see this as a an opportunity that we should run towards from my observations and no disrespect to anyone but i mean from what i've seen i've seen two different camps emerging i've seen some being very resistant and being very set in the you know their specific you know in their their their, their um, silo of, of analytics data and others that are more open to kind of you know moving beyond that um i think for for a variety of reasons this is the way we're moving towards because I mean, with a lot of the the, the privacy um, changes happening, um, a lot of like at, in a silo, analytics data is becoming uh, more limited in some ways, like less useful. The, the way to really make it more rich nowadays is to is really to be able to merge it with other data sources, whether it be internal data sources or other uh, third party or MarTech tool data sources that that may exist. Um, and it's difficult. It's, it's there's no easy plug and play kind of thing, um, but that's why I do think, yeah, if 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 we start, you know, looking at it from the entire data ecosystem perspective, um, I think we are well positioned to be there. I mean, so, um, if not us, who else? <laughs> well, we, well, yeah, and I, I think you bring up a good point, and I I'm I'm going to take a slight tangent around that, but tied to that topic i think maybe historically it has been the data engineering team that has been developing the architecture for how this is done and because maybe they don't have that higher level purview of what we're trying to solve for the business the feedback that i've been getting and, and this conversation that we're talking about has come up more and more this year than any other year in our existence as a company like prospects coming to me saying we need to do this and one of the major pain points they have is We've built this before, you know, we got we had this agency build it or our internal data engineering team built it, but it's so expensive to own and operate that we can't use it anymore. And and sometimes it's like we just have a basic question and, and our partner says, Yeah, we can do that, but you know, it's gonna be fifty thousand dollars for us to write some custom queries and extend the data warehouse to do is like there's gotta be a better solution out there. Yeah. I think the big problem is that the the ones that are usually or have created these types of um, data warehouses in the past don't have that direct insight into how the business is using the data. A lot of times, I mean, um, uh, data engineers are like engineers and absolutely no disrespect at all. <laughs> I mean, we need them. Everyone needs them. The organization needs them. But usually, historically, from what I've seen, they've been more disconnected from the business. Mm -hmm. um, than we typically are, or that, that analysts typically are. Well, and I think you that's an important call out because mm -hmm. I think we're in a position to replicate this same challenge unless we learn some of those lessons because sure as an analyst, but a lot of a lot of our implementers and architects that are really, really good at doing that are also disconnected from the business. And that's why a lot of MarTech implementation is so misaligned. So how do we avoid that trap of just doing this, but on a broader scale, because we still have that that disconnect. The other big problem to add to that too is, I think, from the vendor side, a lot of them have a very ideally idealized view, especially the big 
vendors who I, I don't necessarily need to name, but the ones that create kind of suites around their products. And you know expect, who we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> expect the, you know, every, or for them, for, 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 you know, if we, if, if, if a company were to fully uh, dive into one vendor completely, you know, <laughs> like every team using, you know, the same tool set, then maybe it would be easier. But in reality, I've n absolutely never seen that. I mean, <laughs> a lot of times different date, like the, the whatever email, uh, the email marketing team is different than the, you know, paid search team. Maybe it's an agency that's different from the analytics team, different from the, um, you know, uh, the product team, the security team, what, what have you, like everyone's using different tools. Um, so there, I mean, the reality is nowadays, there's there's not really a lack of data. There's too much data, mm -hmm. um, and there's no curation of that data for what's really important. Um, and there's a lot of confusion because there's a lot of data tracking similarly sounding metrics, um, you know, with different definitions. Yep. Uh, someone does need to take ownership of data. So let's, holistically. Yeah. I. I. Yeah, man. Like. Okay. Let's keep pulling on that thread. So. Yeah. And by the way, Jim, it was super weird. You like raised your hand and your microphone appeared. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, went to, I, I, I didn't see that. It was oh, the okay. other hand. It was the other hand. <laughs> other hand. There you go. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's cool. Um, yeah, no, you hit on a really, really important point because in kind of digital, kind of our, our world, we've been fairly limited um, and there's all these other data sets. And I think we haven't been historically positioned high enough in the organization or we haven't had leadership high enough in the organization to be able to set those standards. And so we end up with all this, not only bifurcated data, but different definitions of things depending on which group yeah. or tool you're using. So, And if we don't take ownership of everything, we're part of the problem. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're just another confusing data source. Agreed. It's next to every other confusing data source. So I think we need to really move beyond that and tie everything together, like create a, a, a fabric. How do we do that? I mean, I didn't mean to say fabric because that's, that is the tool name of a specific <laughs> vendor, but no, I did not mean that. But. Um, <laughs> I, does it start with people or does it, where does it start? Because mm -hmm. I mean, do we, do we have to have like a, does every organization need a chief data officer that this all rolls up through or a VP of like, does it start? Does it need to start with people? I think so. I mean, I think the the um, yeah. I mean, uh, in terms of the actual structure, I think that could be determinant on the the organization, and, and you probably have some thoughts there as well. But I think probably the most important part, from my uh, perspective, is is trust with with multiple stakeholders. I think the truth is, um, or from what I've seen, um, maybe so, so let's take uh, not to pick on marketers. They're always picked on, but <laughs> so marketers happen to own a lot of tools sometimes, and um, they don't necessarily want to own them. <laughs> you know, maybe a lot of times mm. I've I've seen uh, uh, you know marketers maybe know how to use the tools or, or run their campaigns excellently, but when it comes down to extracting the data from them or merging it to other data sets, that's beyond their expertise they may not be interested in that at all so you know to kind of start partnering with these other stakeholders and um you know just 
as we typically try to do to, to learn the nuances of all these data sets. I think that's the, the first step. I mean, like we need to, to understand how what's there, how it's being used. I mean, in a way that data engineers or, you know, the BI team necessarily doesn't go yeah, into. Yeah. And I think you bring up a, a very real challenge and I'm trying to creatively tie this back in with the coffee machine. Um, in, in that, a lot of times, historically, as analytics teams, we've been incredibly passive, and marketers do like to buy tools, and they want to they want the output of the tools. They just don't want to use the tools. M meaning, you know, they want a fancy espresso machine, but they don't want to be the barista. They want someone else to come in, pull the shot, make the drink, give them the drink, maintain the machine, clean the machine. And what often happens is marketing goes out and buys these tools, says, we want the output of this tool here, analytics team. I know you weren't even involved in what we're trying to do, but you now own this and you have to maintain it and make it work. And that's really, really difficult if we don't have a partnership for why we're even mm -hmm. buying and selecting these tools. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, really, ideally, the analytics team should be involved in all levels of the oh, yeah. the, the, the acquisition process for I these agree. tools as well. Because, I mean, frankly, they're, the vendors um, across the board seem to be pushing that all their tools are very simple to use, simple to maintain, mm -hmm. self-service, um, when in reality, that's not necessarily the case, especially because, um, you know, everyone's every vendor's example company is always so simple, such a simple e-commerce website with three different types of pages. <laughs> but that's that's far from reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. From most organizations, they're infinitely more complicated. And it seems like, you know, every demo I've seen never touches on that aspect. No. Um, it's always overly simplified. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe their tool is very self-service and plug and play if, if you have a, um, e-commerce site from 20 years ago, and yeah. but, uh, <laughs> nowadays it's not, not exactly like that. Or all of your data is clean. Yeah. That kind of, as well. And the pages are static and nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but you, I, I think what you're bringing up kind of helps support the argument of the importance of having people at the right levels of the organization. Uh, because from what I've seen happen, and, and maybe this isn't representative of the whole, but, you know, a, um, I don't know, a VP of marketing will go out and buy tools, will toss it over to the analytics team, say, hey, figure this out, use this. The analytics team gets frustrated. A lot of times they quit. Um, and even if they try to push back, it's typically, well, I'm VP of marketing. You're manager of analytics. We're not on the same level. And so I think it begs that we have someone higher in the organization that is helping set the strategy and is in a, in a place where they can help influence these changes. Because right now, so many, so many of these analytics organizations, I think, are positioned too low in the organization and feel really beat up and, 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 mm -hmm. and just resigned to kind of being an order taker. Um, and that's a really tough place to be. And I think, I think traditionally, um, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, most times analytics teams have been under marketing in a sense. There's usually like a, I think that's, you know, where a lot of us come from is from yeah. the marketing analytics realm. But nowadays, I mean, honestly, I see marketing as just a piece of the, the data ecosystem. Agreed. Um, there's a lot of other data sources that marketing needs to use that they have no um, claim over. So, I mean, that could be an argument that 
analytics should actually sit outside of marketing. I feel like like it needs to be a partnership, not just a subordinate. Agreed. Um, slightly switching gears as analytics teams, and you brought up a good point about how these products are positioned, that it's, oh, it's so super simple, like it takes care of all your problems, and it is great marketing. It is great sales material, and it works. You know, you go into these, and again, I don't want to, to your point, necessarily pick on marketing, but it's where <laughs> it happens a lot. They go into these yeah. marketing teams and say, buy our tool. We know you're frustrated. We know you don't have everything you need. Just buy our tool, and it just works. Yeah. Um, and yeah, marketer, never, marketers don't want to make things more complicated. They right. want to make things more simple. That's yeah. right. Um, but it never works like that. It's never that simple. Companies are incredibly complex, to your point. Um, what responsibilities do we have as an analytics organization, either internally with our stakeholders to be that kind of informed voice of reason or externally to hold vendors accountable? Because... This isn't anything new. This has been happening ever since I entered the industry in the early 2000s. And you would think, you know, fool, what did George Bush say? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me. You can't get fooled again. It's a funny <laughs> um, but, but, you know, like, it's like, how do vendors keep getting away with it? So, like, they fool you to say it's easy. You, It's not easy. And it's like, well, I'm not going to get fooled again. But we've gotten fooled again and again and again and again. Do we have responsibility to help? provide balance to that conversation or are the vendors going to do what they do and we need to fight our battles internally? I think we need to interject ourselves more into the conversation. Maybe tell our internal um, allies, the, the marketers or whatever team is, is looking at some uh, some new tools saying like if, um, you know, if you want this integrated with the, the rest of the data sources, if you want it to eventually feed into the BI team or the data warehouse, or you want us to support it in any way, like we need to be involved in the, the, the process. We need to be able to help vet the vendor to make it, to make sure that it, it fits in with the rest of the, the, the ecosystem at the organization. Cause um, I think a lot of times that's something they will be, I, I, you know, I have no idea what, what other, I don't know. I don't know what the data warehouse is or, or whatnot. And, you yeah. know, we can provide that expertise to them too. I think it, it's not meant to be a competitive thing, more of, of, of a way to better support um, those partners. Um, we just need to make ourselves known that we should be uh, more involved from the very beginning. How, how, how do we do that in a healthy way where we don't come off as just annoying? Cause I, I think I've seen marketing teams kind of take that perspective of it's like, Jason, just go away. Like, we don't, we don't want you to poke holes in this. We just want to buy this thing and have fun with it. And so like, just leave us alone. Like, how do we interject ourselves into that conversation in a meaningful way, but, but not come off as just they're kind of poking holes in something that they were super excited about that's going to solve all their problems? Yeah, I guess we, we just need, I, I mean, for me, it's just more about the, the building the, the trust that we're not trying to make things more difficult. We're actually trying to make things more easy for them. Um, we're trying to help them be able to extract data or insights from the tool, maybe um, uh, in a way that would be difficult for them to do on their, their own. I mean, they have to realize too that, um, you know, maybe it, 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 it's not exactly a self, completely self-service thing unless they're the ones who want to prioritize or do the actual implementation themselves as well. Um, yeah, I I think there's just kind of a, like a, 
Yeah, and in, in the workflow, we just need to make sure that we're, you know, <laughs> codependent on each other somehow. I'm not, yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. And again, I think it, it's a challenge. It, it's a very real challenge. And again, I think it speaks to the importance of having this broader analytics initiative prioritized higher in the organization so that that there is a strategy and a direction set and it set and it's not this kind of land grab like this is ours or this is yours and we're fighting for territory but but mm-hmm. more we're working together in unison to solve a specific problem and that for me has always been the challenge it was a huge challenge when I was on the client side is I was embedded in marketing um, and it was positioned that my role is a marketing analytics role and I need to adhere to how marketing thinks about data and not how the business thinks about data. I'm like, aren't we all part of the same thing here to the point where um, I, I got into quite an argument with the VP of marketing because they wanted me to publish numbers that I didn't feel good standing behind because they didn't make sense for how the rest of the business looked at the data and said, but this is how marketing defines this metric because it makes it look like our job. We're doing our job at a you know better rate or doing better at our job. I'm like, yeah, but I don't feel comfortable doing that. Like, so we have to break outside of that mold of it's like us versus they're like, we all work for the same company. We should have, and maybe this comes back to the importance of having aligned uh, goals and, and outcomes that, you know, we're, we're aligning those with a bigger cause, not just what's best for our department. Yeah, my, my stance is um, an analytics practitioner has always tried to be as neutral as possible internally. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've gotten similar types of requests in the past, too, but I, I will just refuse to even say if something's good or bad and just like we're, we're meant to, re- I mean, good news or bad news, we're, we're, we're meant to report on what's yeah, uh, going on. Absolutely. Like we need to be the independent voice um, to, to, to speak for for the data and the customers that sit behind that data. I think we have to admit that that can be really, really difficult if we roll up through a team that has mm-hmm. misaligned incentives. Yeah. Um, you know, because you or I may feel comfortable standing up and saying, but I guarantee you there's lots of people that are reporting up through the VP of marketing. They see some bad data and they're like, well, wait a minute, this person that I'm going to push back against is responsible for my pay raises, my promotions, my bonuses. Maybe I'll just let this one slide. And so I think we, it's important to, to recognize if we're going to sit within specific organizations like that, that whether, we, whether there's an inherent conflict of interest or not, there is within the employee to a superior. It's like, I don't know if I want to push back against this. Yeah, I do almost feel like it makes, or it's starting to make more sense generally that analytics or data is is independent of any any team that reports on metrics for their own, you know, to their own for their own benefit or compensational reasons. So, um, how do you see that playing out in wit in kind of going back to this self-service model where I'm seeing more and more companies talk about this hub and spoke model where you have analysts embedded in specific teams that report to specific teams that do specific team analysis that are supported by a hub that that sounds great you know they're very intimately aware of the business unit they're analyzing but how do you keep that separation so you are an independent voice if you're still embedded in these teams yeah i still think that 
that that that hub model can work, but I think it's there still needs to be some either sponsorship or or somehow that that hub is managed in a independent way. So for instance, the like it might make sense. How does the BI team report? Like who, who do they report up to? Or who does the data engineering report to? It might make sense to to kind of have that kind of the closer ally of of the analytics team because. Um, I found in 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 this kind of model that um, typically the people working closest with is the data engineers and the BI team, um, and all of the business becomes kind of customers of the data, mm -hmm. not the you know managers of the data <laughs> in a sense. Yeah, I think it's a really really important topic that we're not necessarily thinking about as we're thinking you know, staffing these teams and how to make it more self-service is how do we avoid the potential risks that, that come with that? Now, you know, risk may here may be financially or maybe ethically. Jim, did we bring up how this played out at Boeing with the um, Dreamliner? Did we talk about that on the podcast? I don't remember talking about that. So um, the FAA embeds inspectors in companies like Boeing to make sure that they're building things that are going to be safe to fly around in. And when they started having all these problems with the, the new Dreamliner, they did an analysis and assessment to figure out why it was happening. And they're like, we've so embedded our, our, our uh, people in these companies that they're literally employees of Boeing. They're like hanging out with these people. They're going to lunch They're And, and, and the specific situation with, with the Dreamliner was there was, huge financial pressure to get these things approved by the FAA because of the stock price of Boeing. And so these inspectors kind of fudge things because there was so much enormous pressure from someone that they were supposed to be an independent auditor of. Um, and, and again, like it's, I don't think the things we're doing are as serious of, as planes crashing with people on board, but still, I think it's, it's a really important conversation to have as we're talking about opening up the data and maybe restructuring how teams are um, are built in order to provide a more self-service model that there is this component of risk that if we don't have an independent voice of that data, what what problems are we going to run into as a business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think the independence, that independent aspect is, is, is a big one. I think ideally, um, there would be a, a chief data officer or something. And in many organizations, that, does, that role doesn't exist necessarily yet. Um, outside of that, um, what I found to be somewhat neutral also is uh, if it rolls up to in the, the developer organization, like the CTO um, or the CPO, like the chief product officer, potentially at different companies as well. Um, because going back to originally the point too, like, I mean, what we're doing is creating products, internal products, maybe not customer facing products like the website or a mobile app, but internal products that other customers inside the organization use to access data. Um, so in, the, in that case, there are a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of parallels between the way the, the product org might work as well. I, I really love that, that concept and view of looking at it. and not to the, I think, 
complexity that, that you're kind of thinking around building data products, but it's how I thought about things when I was on the client side. And this, this came from a lesson my boss uh, at Novell, my first job out of college, taught me is that just because you're internal doesn't mean that your internal customers don't have a choice. You need to think about what you're building as a product. Mm -hmm. And you need to position it and offer it to them as a product that they have a choice to buy or not. And I think it's such a um, powerful way for us to look at how we get to that next level or evolve as as an analytics team and organization to truly adopt that model and be less of a either order taker or a you know pusher of our stuff, saying you have to use it or yes, we'll just respond to what you want. And looking at it, looking at it as a more strategic product role, where we're designing products for customers, and they just happen to be internal customers. Mm-hmm. I love, I love that. Absolutely, I love that idea. I think we strayed way off your topic, Jim. But I think, <laughs> I think, I think we talk it, about self-service uh, so much. I think it ended we up need to being, change the title. <laughs> we might, but I think it ended up being incredibly valuable discussion and and a lot of it is driven by this need for wanting to have you know better access more access to to data there's a lot of these conversations that are hanging off of that that i don't think a lot of organizations are necessarily thinking about um and i think it's important to think about it as they're thinking about how they want to structure things internally from a how are we servicing the data and getting it to the the people that need it yeah no i don't think it, it strayed that far from it. I think we, we, we took a line and just started following it because Jason, where we started this conversation, what you mentioned is, is you're hearing these conversations pop up again. I'm hearing them too. I'm actually working with clients on, on this. And what we're trying to prevent happen is the, the wishful thinking aspect of it saying, Oh, data is self-service or analytics is self-service. It's, the um, the meaningful conversations around like just starting to define what does it mean for analytics to be self-service in this organization? What does that mean? Who who are those that are involved? Who who do we need to get involved? Who do we need to train? Um, all of those various aspects of it, because there is there there's the one question I had was, is is the concept of self-service analytics a cliche or wishful thinking? Um, and if not, if the things that we discussed through, through this episode aren't taking into account, it turns into wishful thinking and it starts to backfire. Yeah. And it starts to backfire because, and again, I love this, this concept that John brings up around treating it like a product is we don't treat it like a product. We just kind of get an idea and run with it and start throwing stuff against the wall. And it's like, then we're frustrated when it doesn't come together this is one of those times, and I hope a lot of the conversations and questions, excuse me, that we brought up during this episode goes to highlight how important it is that, you know, if you're building a meaningful product, you don't just go in and start coding stuff, right? You 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 design and you think about how you want it to, to play out. You think how you're going to maintain it. You think about your roadmap. Um, someone needs to look up the quote about sharpening a saw, but it, it, this is one of those, those occasions, right? It's like, we need to spend like hours sharpening the saw and then cut um and I, again i hope that the questions and conversations in this episode we've brought up is that it's like yeah wait wait a minute like yes this is important yes we want to do it but we, we can't just like throw something up and say okay we're self-service now and expect it's going to work right it's not going to magically come together like that 
Yeah. So in last week's episode, when uh, John and I discussed what it means to be mobile first, another thing that is 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 a hot topic as well in in some areas. Um, you know, we were talking about like how some organizations make the jump to say, okay, we're a mobile first organization without really understanding what that means. And between that conversation and this conversation, it reminds me of a company I worked for many, many years ago where um, they they basically started as a professional services organization. And this platform kind of organically formed around the projects that you know took place over the years. And they wanted to become more agile and not to not not no pun in for development, but they wanted to be more flexible and and wanted a, like an actual product versus just being totally professional services. And I remember sitting in the meeting where the one day the all hands where they were just like, "We're a product organization now." Okay, well, what does that mean? And what it meant for them was is just changing all of the documentation where it said project to product. Literally, that's what it was, <laughs> and nothing changed. And that's all I could think about as, as I was prepping this episode is the same thing where you have these conversations happening around this and then it's the, we're self-service now. We're throwing you a login. Here's a, here's a quick 30-minute training session on how to use the tool. Have fun. I wish I was on that episode last week. Can I just tell you, and completely unrelated, when I was at Novell, it was at the height and then the crash of the dot-com bubble. We, re, we officially changed our name from Novell to Novell.com and had this massive television campaign to talk about how we were Novell.com. I'm like, what does that even mean? Well, we're a product company now. We're, we're a dot-com now. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah it didn't Same work. thing. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I've lived the stock through price it. Crashed. The stock price crashed. <laughs> yeah. I, I've lived through this whole idea in another concept where it – another context where it was the – wanting to to change methodologies change approach but all they did was just change words and it was a half-ass approach and and the whole idea crashed and burned jim 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 really uh it really grinds jim's gears when companies like redo their what is, what is it he's like if you want to see a services company that's like failing to innovate and and, and delight their customers just see how often they change their logo Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you right now, because yeah, you could draw a parallel to sports teams. Um, sports teams that are in smaller markets, they change up their color palette, their logo, and their jerseys every three to four years or so, just to to pump the the revenue there with people buying the the new stuff. Same thing with with, with services companies. Red flag for me is is if they are regularly rebranding, it tells me that uh, the previous name didn't have a lot of goodwill attached to it. Superficial rebranding. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, this is awesome. And I think a very powerful, <clears throat> a powerful episode. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. like th- th- this is the start of, of several episodes around um, the overall theme of, of running an analytics organization. So we're, we're going to continue it again next week. So we have John for, for one more week with us. Um, uh, but yeah, th- I think this was a great start of, you know, how do you run an analytics organization? What are some of the things to think about? And, and again, like it, it's funny and we'll wrap up after this. It feels like every time we kind of go down this theme of, of running an analytics organization or running a team, it's the be wary of what are fads, 
mm-hmm. whether it be sales pitches from technology vendors or just the the hot phrase and the hot methodology that's out there that it's just an, another reason to say we checked a box and we're now this. Agreed. Yep. Agreed. Cool. Well, thank you much. Um, let's go ahead and wrap up there for this week and talk to everyone later. See ya. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.